0: Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing our favorite classic Halloween monsters. Ah, Halloween. Perhaps the greatest of holidays. It's certainly my favorite anyway. It began thousands of years ago as Samhain, an ancient Celtic tradition that rung in the new year with bonfires and costumes, all part of a ritual that helped to keep the spirits of the dead at bay, as well as aid in Druidic fortune-telling for the year to come. Fast forward a few centuries, and the spread of Christianity across Europe turned Seween into All Hallows' Eve, the night before All Saints' Day. But where things get really interesting is when we fast forward a few centuries more to when Halloween came to America and combined various native and newcomer traditions into communal ghost stories, mischief, merrymaking, and community get-togethers. Halloween went nationwide. The post-World War I fascination with the supernatural really gave Halloween a boost. And in the U.S., once people started to realize in the 1920s how much money could be made by selling costumes and treats, there was no turning back. A big part of that is the media that supports Halloween. The creature features of the 1930s and 50s and the slasher flicks of the 70s and 80s drew on stories new and old to fascinate and frighten, helping to further cement Halloween as a pop culture juggernaut. You cannot mention Halloween without conjuring any of the numerous monsters associated with it. Our love for horror, monsters, and general weirdness has helped to create a culture catalog from which any fan can draw when the jack-o'-lanterns come out again. Witches, werewolves, Frankenstein's monster, the Headless Horseman, the mummy, vampires, skeletons, and zombies, ghosts, ghouls, and goblins. These are the things that we'll be geeking out over today. So let's get started. With me this time around is A man wearing SPF 10,000 sunblock, Chris Crenshaw. I was a newborn vampire weeping at the beauty of the night. A guy with a serious dislike of large beetles, Tom Hespos. Bugs, 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 bugs. And a dude who applies reduce, reuse, recycle to dead bodies, Joe Pace.
1: I busied myself to think of a story, one which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror. (laughs) God.
0: Love it. All right. Well, look. Uh, once again, we're going to bring out the enchanted uh, foresighted die to see who goes first. Uh, so let me throw it now. Joe Pace, you are up first, sir. Kick us off. What classic Halloween monster are you talking about today? And walk us through why you love them so much.
1: It's, it's just as well that I get to start off because the the story that I want to um, that I want to talk about really goes back to sort of the the praxis of sort of the genre of horror, if you will, as a as a written form, we should go to the summer of 1816 and then the Swiss Alpine Lakes where Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, later Mary Shelley, is shacked up with Lord Byron, her later husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and, and the lesser light, John Polidoro. Her younger stepsister was there, too. And there was sex and drinking and drugs and, and, and writing. <laughs> Editor's note, that time, of course, was lovingly recreated in the Ken Russell movie Gothic. Look it up. By the way, can like can I get a passport to 1816? In, where in multiple
2: combinations, I suspect. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. I
1: don't. I think that the I think the four sided dice was out that day too. And, <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so so sure. basically,
1: they they spent their time. There had been a volcanic eruption the year before, which rendered 1816 the year without a summer under this volcanic winter, and so they basically spent their time indoors, you know, reading and writing and drinking and. Um, and they read the old German <laughs> folk tales, <laughs> the the, the Phantasma Goriana, and they dared each other to write ghost stories. And so from this this swinging creative competition, you get the praxis of Frankenstein, a modern Prometheus. <laughs> um, by the way, M- Mary Shelley was eighteen years old. Um, yeah,
0: I know, right? Uh,
1: Frankenstein, uh, <laughs> and and she she had nightmares about. Uh, because uh, her later husband, Percy Shelley, and Byron were talking about like dead bodies and essentially zombie stories and like scientists using electricity to animate dead bodies and all this stuff. And so she was going to sleep with somebody and having these nightmares <laughs> about this this concept of, of assembling dead body parts and reanimating them. So she took this, but instead of it just being a straightforward tale she imbued it with all of this these concepts and themes of hubris and uh you know man versus nature which was so much of the romantic themology of the time of the 19th century was you know man versus nature and man's overreach versus nature prometheus crap right right yeah. bringing yeah. fire to the mortals the whole the whole bit and you had that this time you know I mean, you, you were coming up on the cusp of the industrial revolution where man was I say, man humanity was seeking to to conquer the uh, the limitations of the natural world and understanding the building blocks of reality and what what made life versus death and all these other sorts of things. and she plumbs the depths of this and strikes at the very core of our understanding of the line between what is alive and what is dead and is that a permanent line or not and and writes what is basically the first horror story, the first science fiction novel, like like all of it, as a teenager. And so you, you get to me the the first and most enduring monster story. We all have this dread, right? We've all got this fundamental dread of something dead coming back. You know, so many stories and so Sometimes many. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes dead is better yeah yeah right, exactly but like so many like so much of our our our, like we don't want to think about it right like we don't want to yeah. think about once something's dead it's gone but when it comes back right like that that's a terrifying prospect Shelley manages to get at the core of so much of what terrifies us but the best part is the real monster in the story isn't the reanimated corpse it's Victor Frankenstein mm, right this guy who cannot let God be the, the one who disposes between life and death, but wants to seize that power away from the almighty and have it for himself. No one should ever die. And that, that concept of, of what we get into in Romanticism and the Industrial Revolution of now we're going to seize away from, from God the province of decisions of life and death, that monster and what's monstrous about the modern Prometheus isn't this reanimated corpse who in her original novel is a sympathetic creature. Oh, yeah, was abandoned by its creator
0: yeah
3: but it's the, the creator scholar.
1: himself who does not bear responsibility for his creation the best horror the best scary movies aren't about what's hiding in the shadows it's about what's monstrous about ourselves
2: right yeah i i and suspect that all of us are going to ultimately be talking about that and yeah, i think
1: you're right i think you're right chris and so um, I, I love, I love the novel. Tom's like, one of my-
0: I'm gonna be talking about shotguns. I don't know about you guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this this, this a um- crazy scarab. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. But anyway. No, no, no. It's
1: always- Shelley's book is one of my favorite novels because it's such a masterful expression of a genre that did not yet exist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, at that same confab, There also came the vampire, you know, fragments that Byron cribbed of old stories Mm -hmm. from Transylvania and and the Balkans and that Mm -hmm. Polidori wrote down. But so you had this one debauched weekend, essentially, in the Swiss Alps where they invented Frankenstein and vampire stories. Yeah, right. (laughs) Basically, in in, in a a castle,
2: actually, right? Yeah.
1: I think it was in an actual castle. In, In a castle. Yeah, um, sitting around I, I the see, fire. I
0: should not recall that Yeah, But also, like at one point, like like uh, like they were having dalliances, like on like a tomb, like they're just like hanging out and like reading oh, well. on the tomb. Like you were doing more than reading, y'all. Okay, you were doing yeah, some no, random no, no. nonsense. They, okay, they were what, what, what castle reading, is without its
1: tomb?
2: They were probably <laughs> reading
1: at the same time. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, honestly. If one of them was standing reading while the others were doing their thing, like that's the yeah. kind of nature of these cats, right? They might have been directing
2: um, a play. For but all I we will know. say I,
1: I will say that um, my favorite... caligula
2: level nonsense going on up in the haunted castle
0: is all I'm saying. <laughs> hey,
1: yes, hey, the Swiss are different, right? Like, but the um, my favorite film adaptation, and I get it. There have been, you know, the original. Uh, I don't know if it was Lugosi or who the Carloff. Uh, uh, Carloff, yeah. uh, the original um, uh, Frankenstein, or you know, the <laughs> the young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks' young Frankenstein. Sure, um, but. The, the version that Kenneth Branagh put together in the early 90s, which had a lot of fidelity to the, to the original subject matter of putting the focus not on the monster, but on, on Victor and on his motivations with a, an unbelievable score, <laughs> which to this day is one of my favorite writing scores. It really captures the, the hubris and the overreach uh, and, and man's inability to understand his own limitations. Um, that is at the heart of the Frankenstein mythos and the Frankenstein story. Yeah. And that's why I, I love this book. And that's why I love that movie version of
0: it. That version is terrific because it also features um, Robert De Niro as the monster. Who as you... the gangster monster. Yeah.
1: Well, well, just who what are these of... parts of which I am comprised?
0: <laughs> no, but to be fair, though, he was a guy you would not have thought to have cast in that role. But that was during, like, early 90s, I'm going to get ripped as hell, super swole De Niro, who was kind of frightening. Like, in Cape Fear, he was kind of monstrous, and this was monstrous. He was kind of big and hulking as Neil Macaulay in Heat. So, like, this is when De Niro was walking around with a ton of muscle on him and looked frightening. He really did. So I, I, He was kind of – I actually liked him quite a lot in Brian Frankenstein.
1: De-, De Niro gets the line. He, he he gets the the line that he says, there is, there is love in me which you cannot imagine. And there is violence, the likes of which you cannot conceive. And if I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other. And I just, it's so terrifying when he says that, because <laughs> he's like, basically saying, don't. like, if you don't let me be fully human, I will yeah. become the monster.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, and Fra- Victor Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein flees. And he essentially gives over and he says, I, I can't help you. Like, I abandon you and he turns him into the monster by that. It's not him hitting him with lightning and electric eels that makes him the monster. It's him not being responsible for his creation that turns him into the monster.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tom, do you you have any particular thoughts on Frankenstein? God bless writers' confabs,
1: man, right? I mean, like,
3: holy... All the things you ever hear about, you know, writers getting together and challenging themselves in these ways. I mean, like, does anything bad ever come of it? I mean... (laughs) Geez, why aren't we all in in, in these things today? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. We need some more. Oh we need god. some more Mary Shelleys. Is what we need. You know, you know what Frankenstein I loved
2: was uh, the Penny Dreadful version. Dude,
0: yeah, so,
3: so good. good.
1: The
0: monster was terrifying in that. He was everywhere. He was like, and, I will. And yet, have he was also my... awesome. He you was know? awesome. And, no, I I loved that version. It was so great. You, oh
2: my yeah. god, yes, I adored it. That that show really deserves a lot of respect because it it yeah. was faithful to a lot of different things. Like, yeah, I only saw the and, and first really season of it, but I well loved it
0: together. It was, it, you know, it was it was terrific. What I saw, I really really liked. And yeah. Oh, Bill, you
3: have to finish that up if you yeah, have. It's, it's two more seasons,
0: right? I believe so. I think so it, it, yeah, yeah. I probably just bang that out in the weekend. Yeah, but I I really need to because it's one of those shows where I saw the first season and adored it. I just never went back for more. But it's not because it's not a judgment on that. It's just. We live in an age of wonders, and I'm constantly distracted by other things. So something else grabbed my attention, and that's the way it happens. So
3: we need to do an episode on things we forgot to get back. Yeah, right. Seriously. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: But 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 you know, Joe, one thing I read about Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I I don't know how to pronounce it. Frankenstein. Is is it Frankenstein? (laughs) Is it Frankenstein? I don't know. You know, I want to be legitimate, but I don't want to be like putting on airs. Frankenstein. i Frankenstein.
1: I might just call it Frau Bluka and just and just. just... You know, you know the joke about Frau. Bruja, right? It's oh. German for glue factory, That's <laughs> why the horse neighs. Is it? Every time that she says fra Bruja, anybody tell anybody yeah. says it, the horse nays, because it's yeah. German it's, for glue factory.
0: It's yeah, glue factory. That's awesome. Anyway, so the thing with Frankenstein is that Frankenstein. Good lord. All right, this is... Jim Wilder has got you. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, seriously, it's going to be a different one every this time. So do you, Joe. Yeah, just prepare, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you and your high fancy sitting learning, getting me all messed up on this. Anyway, the thing with Frankenstein is that Mary Shelley was really unusual at the time because there were there were women who were published authors, but almost none of them had been mothers. Even though she was relatively young, she had already, I guess, I think had had a child. She'd been pregnant and miscarried or had a child and lost it really early on and was pregnant again. She had like a couple like maternal experiences really like in, in quick succession and at least one of them with a tragic ending part of what's informing the story is sort of like this notion of motherhood. And and like in her journal, she's like, I woke up and the baby wasn't there. And the notion is like the baby, it's almost like looking at this from like the baby woke up and the parent wasn't there. Well, Uh, you
1: have to understand her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, the women's rights activist in uh, 18th century England who died when Mary was tiny. So she grew up without a mother right and so some of that in, in, in and yeah. informs her writing as well and her father was a writer so i mean like yeah. she comes to it honestly um, oh, yeah. and then Mary's and, and she
2: comes to the fast living honestly too i mean you know the the children of the wealthy at that time were you know notoriously dissolute i mean well yeah you know, that's one of the things in history that never changes
0: <laughs> they did whatever you <laughs> you know as a parent One of the surest ways to really get a strong reaction out of me in anything is touching upon some of the elemental experiences of 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 being a parent, right, and of having a child. And especially the notion of losing a child at any stage is is anathema to you as a parent. I mean, it it is lightning rod level. You know, you say it, and you immediately just you get these you know horrible goosebumps on the back of your neck. And the notion of this, this dread of having an infant, losing it early on, and and, and that sort of thing, and then, and then so quickly being pregnant once again. Like, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a guy. I can't imagine what it's like to carry a pregnancy whatsoever. I can only imagine it. Being in a place like, I'm going to be a mother. Actually, I'm no longer a mother. You know, I, 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 like those sorts of things are... I imagine it's even harder on a mom than it would be on a dad as well, as I guess what I'm going to say. I, I can't help but think that helps to also further inform the horror in Frankenstein, which is such a thoroughly horrific story. I mean, there's so much to be just horrified by, frankly. And it's like a, such a slow, quiet burn. And if you stop and look at it closely, it's dreadful stuff. It's horrible. horrible well, Victor
1: is, is driven by fear of loss. He's essentially Anakin Skywalker. Like he, he lost his mother as a young boy. And then he loses like their adopted ward younger brother. So like his, his early life is scarred by losses and he vows that he will never lose anyone again. Yeah. And he says, I can stop it. I can change it. No one ever need die again. That's why I joke about, you know, he's Anakin Skywalker. He's I'm going to become so powerful that I can, I can defeat death. It's not man versus nature, even so much as it's man versus death. You cannot ever, Win that game. Voldemort can't win it. Anakin can't win it, and Victor Frankenstein can't win it. And yeah. you will always, always lose that fight.
0: I remember reading it for the first time in high school as one of those books you have to read as part of like the Western canon. You go through these books where you slog through because you have to as part of your education, and, and then Dostoevsky. Books that, yeah, yeah, books you push through, and then books that pull you along, and very Should quickly experiment. this one this one pulled me along from almost the first page. I was like just drawn through, and like I can't. I remember coming back to school that you know that Monday. And I was like, Y'all, have you read Frankenstein yet? This book is crazy. It's awesome. And I was like so blown away it's by it. Dope. It was it, it I, I just loved it. I, I mean, and it was I just remember it was, a, it was one of the first works of literature I read that really captured me as immediately with as much thrill as, say, Hansel Star's End, honestly. <laughs> it was just one of the like, like it just, you know, it just hit me in every level, high and low. I'm like, I just can't get over this book. So I don't know.
1: The, the last thing I'll say about the Brunner version is that it's, it's one of the criticisms that it receives is how overwrought it is. It's, it's, it's over the top. It's deeply emotional. It's, you know, overacted. It, and, should and it directed. not be? <laughs> but, but that's the point, right? I mean, yeah. this is a romantic novel, which is based in, it is overwrought. Like you're talking about Shelley, who's in the tradition yeah. of those who come later, Hawthorne and Melville. It is overwrought. Like it's, it's overdone. And that's the point is everything is amplified it's purple and emotions are amplified
0: purple is a good Um, word for it yeah yeah what i'm sorry
1: i missed that it's purple yeah right yeah it is purple prose and it's intentionally done it's it's almost like you know we talked in an earlier episode um about howard's conan about how the prose is basically wearing like a a a word sweater at all times and just like this is this is crazy yeah that's lovecraft
0: yeah
3: Word salads to word sweaters somehow. I don't know how we got there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to the next one here. So I'm going to roll the magic D4. See who goes next. All right. It's me. Initially, I was going to talk about my favorite werewolf movie. But then I went back and I looked at them and I realized that all the ones I really, really loved, I actually did not stand up to, to the test of time very well at all, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm not going to call them out by name. I'm just going to look. I'm just going to say that I watched them again and was horrified and was kind of sad that something I loved and had been delightful in my memory was now unveiled to be the piece of garbage it was. So anyway, moving on from there, I was talking to my wife, Allison, about this episode. I'm like, yeah, we're doing classic Halloween monsters and we're going to do this, this, this. And she goes, no witches, huh? i'm like i'm like oh you're right and that reminded me instantly of a movie that i saw it came out a couple years ago and is one of my instant modern horror classic movies i just love this film it's called the witch uh, by nicholas eggers it came out in 2015. it's a psychological type horror movie it's part of what people kind of consider this the elevated horror genre which is really i don't know it's kind of a false construct it's basically there's been a bunch of really well done horror movies made in recent years and a lot of them rely more on tone and atmosphere than on jump scares and on viscera and and this movie definitely falls midsummer get out uh hereditary the, the babadook you know there's a whole bunch of really terrific horror movies that just they hit you with a sense of dread and a deep sense of weirdness and you're just unsettled the whole time and you never really get a, get a chance to be settled and this movie is very much in that in that zone and that's why I love it so much the witch is the story of this family in like 1630 <laughs> or 30s uh Massachusetts Bay Colony times right they are they are a family of puritans who the movie starts with them basically getting themselves exiled from the colony because they are too up, you know they consider themselves too upright for the pilgrims there they're like you guys are ungodly. And the pilgrims are like, you know, we're pilgrims, right? And they're like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not godly enough. Like, okay, so that you go, right? So these guys, right? So right off the bat, you're like, okay, these guys were a particular breed. And they go out into the wilderness. they find this plot of land on the edge of the forest? Right. And you can tell, like, it doesn't look like just forest lands. It looks like the primeval capital T, the forest, right? A wall of elemental danger you dare not enter I and mean, they put their house right up against it right it's, it's a family there's mom and dad there's thomason who's like 14 years old played by anna taylor joy she's fantastic in it this, i think this is the movie that kind of really introduced her to, to audiences but she's great in this wow uh there are two like toddler twins like fraternal twins who are like four years old <laughs> the and creepiest just, children ever they're just some of the creepiest children ever put on <laughs> they're, film. they're
2: creepier than the girls from the shining
0: they really are like, they're by are a mile su- they're super creepy and then there's a, uh, and then there, I think there, I think his name is uh, <laughs> Samuel, who's like a newborn who's with him, right? And the movie really starts with Thomason playing with Samuel, these close ups of Thomason's face and Samuel's face. And he goes, Where's Samuel? Boo. And then Samuel's like, hee, he, he, you know, giggling as a newborn does. And he's like, Where is he? A boo. Where, Where is he? A boo. Where is he? And suddenly the baby's not there. And it's like there's no special effect or nothing. Just suddenly, you know, baby's gone and she's like well wait a minute hang on wait wait samuel and she like doesn't know where the kid is and the kid never comes back right and that's where the movie starts and like what just happened right uh yeah and and you're like this is like and then and then you see what happens like what came of all that and like okay and this family is clearly beset by something foul from within the woods right but they don't know what it is and they're not sure it's not each other yeah and very quickly, like the crops start to fail. The goats they start to bleed from their udders. All sorts of bad things start happening to them in rapid succession. And they start going into the forest to try to forage and bad things happen to them there. It's just it keeps getting worse and worse and worse for this family. And eventually they, they start turning on each other. There's this long held anger at Thomason for Samuel's disappearance. The mom is just completely not there. She's in deep grief and shock. The father is he is the he is the the deadly sin of pride incarnate. You know, he's just like just carrying himself on. It all goes from bad to worse. It never gets better, and the dread just keeps ratcheting up, ratcheting up. And you're like, okay, what exactly is messing with this family? What's going to happen? And you've got this goat named Black Philip. This goat <laughs> he's looks he's star like, of the movie. He's a star of the movie. He looks like <laughs> he looks like the devil. I mean, he's like, he's just, he's this goat with magnificent curved horns, and he's just like, and apparently. I know we don't talk about how movies get made a whole lot, but apparently it, the guy playing the father said he would never work with that goat again. Apparently, that goat <laughs> was an, apparently that goat was an absolute I, bastard I heard the and, same. and knew it. He was like, "I'm the I'm the coolest goat there is," and he, check me out, and was like <laughs> super mean, like prone to unprovoked headbutting and all kinds of stuff. Right, but but in the story, Black Phillip is this goat who is rather problematic goat and like the young twins like are purportedly talking to this goat in the barn and whispering to it and there's like you know it's just all kinds of singing
2: oddly prayerful songs to it singing
0: oddly prayerful songs (laughs) to it like some really crazy stuff is going on it's an a24 horror movie so if you watch things from a24 you know things are going to get super weird and it ends well for nobody right that's kind of like their thing right it's one of the reasons why i love a24 movies frankly like they really they land right where i live the moment of truth is something at the end of the movie, which I, I'm going to quote. I'm going to try to decontextualize it a little bit so I don't spoil things, but it is the most oddly effective whispering you will ever hear in, in film. And, and there's a point where characters are talking and you, you, d- you just hear this character go, What's thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? What's thou like to live... Deliciously. Holy crap, you guys! I mean, it—it's it just—it. I was watching it today. I knew what was coming, and I was like, bracing. I had my headphones on. I'm like, I'm not ready to hear this. It's like, nah! oh, lightning rod kind of stuff. It's a, so weird. It's so creepy. It's a slow burn, though. I'm gonna tell you that the witch is a slow burn kind of movie. You have to be Larry. prepared to kind of just be chill and let it let it kind of happen slowly. It's not a big thrill a minute kind of movie, but. To my, for me anyway, I think it pays off huge.
1: One of the fascinating things I find, I think about with witches and, you know, you're talking to a guy, I grew up less than an hour North of Salem, Massachusetts, going there for school field trips and stuff like that. How much of what's we've been taught is terrifying about witches is, you know, fear of women, fear of like powerful women. And, uh, so there's, there's a lot of of that bound up (laughs) in all of it. And the fact that like women who dared be just a touch different. Yeah. were like, oh, no, 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 that, that can't, we can't have that. Like, we got to, you know, we got to crush them under stones and, and do, do yeah. other things to make sure that that doesn't happen. There's, you know, Wiccans and there there are people who, like, practice witchcraft. Like, among us, there are these people for whom, like, that's an actual thing, man. Like, out of all of these monsters, yeah. like, yeah. witches are, they're, they're real. Like, that's yeah. an actual thing.
0: Hey, look, I know people who practice witchcraft. And I will tell you straight up. I have never felt threatened by any of them. <laughs> that's not because you don't mess them. with them. Not ever, not once. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't cross them, but for different reasons apart from the witchcraft they practice, okay? I wouldn't cross them because they are all to a person, extremely powerful women who are not gonna put up with your crap. And if you cross them, you do it at your peril. And that's witchcraft or no witchcraft, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, you know, so there you go. But in this movie, though, Thomason, you can kind of tell that. Have she, and in that, that part of life, we're starting to explore boundaries, and she is bumping up against the extraordinary strictures of Puritan life, and she's having a hard time of it. Just the very notion of maybe we're bewitched, right? Maybe there's witchcraft going on here. People start asking each other, like, well, who in this family is a witch? That hysteria starts to really spread across the family like wildfire. The different characters are kind of turning it over in their head, like, well, what would it be to be a witch in this situation? Because right now, things suck. <laughs> but maybe if I was a witch... I'd have more power, right? And you get this sense of, of a transfer of religiosity in this story specifically. Not, I'm not saying this is about witchcraft in general, but in this particular story, there's a sense of, of a transfer of we've assigned so much power to this one set of beliefs what if it were transferred to another set of beliefs? Would that actually produce different results? But the director grew up in, I think he grew up in New Hampshire, having gone to Plymouth Plantation an awful lot. And he did a lot of research about the folk tales of the time. And a lot of the dialogue in the story actually is of the period, and a lot of it is lifted from the journals and the eyewitness accounts and the stuff taken from witch trials and and taken that sort of, that sort of thing. And it's it's definitely of the period. And yeah, and yet it's it's put into different context because there's, yeah, there's no witch trials in this. No, no, no. It's just movie. a family in the wilderness. It's like one of those yeah. small cast stories, which I kind of love. I kind of love it when you have movies that have like four characters, you know, or three characters, it's like a play. Or whatever. It's just yeah. this. Yeah, it's it, like a play. It's yeah,
2: a, it's why I like Hateful Eight so much. Yeah, yeah. It's just that, I love Pop Quillers.
0: I love that movie for a totally different reason and for a story that I'll wait for another time, but it involves the destruction of that priceless uh, that priceless yeah. guitar, <laughs> which for, for very personal reasons makes me laugh and makes me go ha, ha, ha every time I see it. But that's for another that's for another time.
1: But I, I'll say to your point, Bill, I think specifically when it comes to witches, there's something American about that, right? Like there's something... Yeah. Uh, american about our fear of, yeah. of witches I mean, we, especially here in new england right we have this this puritanical origin story we have the most and,
2: immediate version of it i think yeah. you know it, yeah. it is the I most know, I agree. Recent and to
1: there's this european yeah. witchcraft and absolutely but yeah but there's a there's an american brand yeah. Of, yeah. to that of this concept okay of, to that of point Go Joe, ahead.
0: to that point i just have to cut in and say this and this is not to offer a spoiler but to those of you who haven't seen The Witch yet and who might go check it out thanks to this podcast, I will say, off of Joe's comment, take a very, very close look at the final moments of this movie. There are, there are details in the final moments of this movie that speak to what Joe just talked about, and it's really kind of interesting. You're Hearing this, you're going to go, what could it possibly be? I don't want to give anything <laughs> away, but it kind of does a lot to talk about the nature, of what's going on in this movie? I'll just, I'll just leave it at that.
3: Oh, and you bet got your hiney. I'm going to go see this one now. <laughs> <laughs> and now this is just one on the list.
0: If you like this one and you like the cut of the jib of this director, check out what he did next, which is a movie called The Lighthouse, which is an even oh. smaller movie oh. with with Robert Pattinson, Jesus. Willem Dafoe. Oh. That movie, that movie is not for amateurs. It is freaking awesome, and it yeah. is it is just great. And I'll tell you what. It contains the greatest insult ever filmed in any movie ever. It's, it is. Oh God. The lighthouse is so as, as much as I love the witch, I love the lighthouse three times more. It is just an extraordinary
1: movie. uh, Um, The green goblin and Cedric Diggory. Just kill me in that. (laughs) It's so freaking good. Bill, before
2: we leave witches, I, I don't feel right without discussing the witches of Eastwick at all. Because that is yes! one of the great movies of all time. And <laughs> and I think probably the greatest Switch movie. I haven't seen it. Oh my God. What? I just
0: it just didn't happen. I didn't I wasn't like, it's not gonna be good. I just missed it. I just Witches of the Eastwick came out in the 80s. There's a lot of things I watched in the 80s I shouldn't have watched. All right, Time is precious. We were talking about this before we got rolling tonight. Time is finite. And, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have watched American Ninja 3 and instead watched even Witches of Eastwick, right? But I did. Jesus okay? Bill, I've <laughs> seen
1: Witches of Eastwick,
0: and I haven't seen any of <laughs> well, Look, I saw Michael Dudikoff movies, okay? You know, so <laughs> there. <laughs> look, man, I didn't see it. I'll get on it. I promise you. I'll watch it. But, you know, if we're going to call brilliant it Brilliant
2: cast, brilliant theme. Yeah. it it boils down witchcraft i think in a, in a way that's really kind of super awesome and like early feminist
0: cool what, what's interesting to me is that a movie that really touches a lot of folks especially like more like millennial and gen z in particular is disney's the witches <laughs> uh which which is the based on the doll story the Roald Dahl. <laughs> yeah like that, that's on disney plus and like, you get on, like, TikTok, whatever, or around Spooky Season, and people are like, yo, the witches, here it comes. Witches is to Halloween what Elf is to Christmas. They love ah. that movie. They just adore it. And it's like, whoa, okay, I didn't expect that one at all. Like, that just – it's not from their time, but they just grabbed it and ran with it. And, like, the witches is, like, a super big favorite. This is the Bette Midler um, one,
2: right?
0: Yeah, Bette Midler, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, and, and again, i also not – the st- witches
1: or Hocus Pocus.
0: Oh, I might be thinking hocus pocus. I'm sorry, you're right. Which is is yeah, uh, hocus yeah. pocus
3: is that one. My wife. I'm loves sorry, that. my bad.
0: Wow. I'm talking hocus Every- pocus. See, yeah, okay, this is how I added myself as having seen none of these movies, yeah. right? So it's Witches hocus are pocus. Bill. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure, Bill. Show how cool you are. Focus, All
3: right, focus that's seized by the uh, millennials like we uh, Gen X seized on Neil Young? Like we just took it, like one of Pretty much,
0: things. yeah. They're like, this is ours now. Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, it's cool. They're like, this is you know, most of the stuff from your time is crap, but not this. Yoink! <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> that's that's how it left our cannon and jumped cannons. So <laughs> next time, let's see here. All right, Mr. Crenshaw, you're up. What is your favorite classic, you
2: know, Halloween monster, and what is your favorite iteration of it? Go. Uh, yeah, maybe it was just because I liked Count Chocula better than Frankenberry or Blueberry as a kid. But <laughs> vampires have always been <laughs> my favorite monsters.
1: They're all
0: terrible. No yummy yeah. mummy. Look at this, oh, Tom. No, take notes. I will
2: not
3: have you spot
2: <laughs> Frankenberry.
3: No, no. That
0: was my favorite a, cereal, man. I'm a, I'm
3: I'm a booberry.
0: Oh, hang I'm on. Wait, I'm a booberry. You just like the strawberry oh, milk I go, after. It goes away
3: for like nine months, and then you gotta wait for it to come back.
2: Ugh. Yeah, that's it's some, horrible. That's some old bullshit, I know. <laughs> I'm a booberry loyalist. Here, <laughs> booberry for I will ride or die for booberry. I love them all. <laughs> all ter- you know, when I... When, it's all terrible. The, the, <laughs> Joe, you are you are dead to me. Dem- <laughs> you are demonstrably wrong, <laughs> is what you are.
1: Yeah. tell me something I don't know I think I think maybe Joe
0: was born as a as a 30 year old man that's right there. all <laughs> the
3: things you disowned Joe
0: for you do it over the after, after this after like 46 episodes finally Joe Chris like I mean, that's it Joe you're dead you just
2: Frankenberry you're gone you're done we, we didn't even get to the werewolf one I don't, called, I don't even know what it's called because I only got it either. when I was in South Carolina on vacation <laughs>
1: Dude, uh, yeah, it was called the uh, bowl. What it was called? Sorry.
0: Okay, uh, hang on. Before, you, before he gets back on track, I just have to say, Chris, you know and I know, vacation cereal is the best cereal. Am I right? That's a true story. It's a
1: true story, right? My understanding is in the South, all you have is grits. Oh my God,
2: Joe, you're gonna get killed before this mm. is over. Seriously. No, nah, man. I look, I, I, I actually do like grits, but I, I'm not gonna fight over them. <laughs>
1: Not a yeah. lunatic. If you dose it in ketchup, it tastes like tomato soup. <laughs> <And> <laughs> anyway, Chris, is all
2: they need. Classic Hollywood all right, all monsters.
1: Right. You're talking about what? So, it's uh, it's we're not
2: serious. There um, we go. And and <laughs> uh, uh, uh. look, we're 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 gonna we're gonna get to Dracula and, and all that. But for me, the best vampires are Anne Rice's vampires. Mm. Her her vampire novels are uneven. But at their best, really phenomenal, I think. They, they can be easily confused with romance novels because, you know, they acknowledge vampire sexuality in a mm-hmm. fairly explicit fashion. <laughs> but what I think makes them horror novels is always when a human is made a vampire in Anne Rice and, and has come to terms with killing to live, it, it's a big deal. You know, Louis's only yeah. the first of several, you know, such cases and and uh, and how each of them deals with it is part of what defines them as characters. And yeah, look, it's a terrifying thought to me. You know, you're yeah. going to live forever unless you get killed, caught or you die by your own hand. Survival depends on failing an ethical test over and over forever. That gives me the shivers. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, really? It, it, that that is terrifying to me. It, it's yeah, and yeah. and and also, like, I also get the attractiveness of living forever and and watching what happens and all. I mean, you know, I, I see where Amina's coming from a little bit. You know, an English professor that I, I uh, ended up being very, fairly close to in college, uh, Bob Huntley. He's an amazing guy. Bob Huntley um, was the best. He came to work with his sheepdog Ollie. Ollie was the best. <laughs> and, and claimed to have once perpetrated an unsolved UFO hoax. Uh, yeah. He that also. One of, my, one of my favorite stories of all time. By right? The way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that story is so good. It's so good. Uh, when he saw me carrying this book around on campus one day, uh, he pointed it out and asked me what I thought. I told him, yeah, I, I think it like might be like literature. And he was down. I was like it's really good, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> Get off on your bad self, Bob. That's awesome, man. That and and like... it was like the best thing ever. I mean, yeah, super gratifying. I, I I love vampires. Those are my favorite. Uh, I could yeah. I could talk for a long time about uh, Anne Rice's vampires. You know, there there's just almost too many good Dracula films and actors to name. I'm partial to Oldman's Vlad myself. Oh, Dracula. Um, Bram Stoker's is Dracula is. Like, what's <laughs> Oldman's just
0: awesome?
3: Yeah, man.
2: <laughs> oh, Oldman's so good. Uh, that I really do love that movie. It's it's. I love it too. AF. It it's it it just it's just it it digs in. It takes itself seriously, in in just I don't know in in just the right way, in my opinion. It, and and by the way, Tom Waits is the best Renfield ever. <laughs>
0: he really Mark. is. He's
2: fantastic in it. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's,
0: I mean, it's funny. That movie is, we mentioned about Branagh's Frankenstein as being a purple movie, right? That movie's purple too, but it lands different. Like, it's got a little camp to it. It, There's a certain camp to it. And there's certain, a certain degree, like, almost like fan service involved, you know, whereas like Branagh's trying to really capture the literary lightning of it, you know, whereas with Coppola, it's more about like just sort of you know creating this great overall like hey I heard they did crazy sex stuff in the Victorian area so let's just like <laughs> supercharge this movie with that and have Winona Ryder in a nighty at in in at night in rain a whole lot you know it's like there's like a lot of that I was on, never going to
2: object to that you know at nineteen or twenty or whatever <laughs> but uh <laughs> shaking his head <laughs>
0: children I'm stuck in here with children
2: <laughs> what a great cast Anthony Hopkins Carrie Elwis. Winona Ryder, Keanu Reeves.
0: <laughs> I got to step in here for a second, to defend Keanu Reeves in this movie. Okay. And here, okay. And here's, the, here's the thing. Okay, and and part of it is just the fact that over the span of time, we've seen that Keanu Reeves is, I think, a objectively really awesome human being. Right. Yes. So I'm willing to I'm willing to cut him a lot of slack for anything he does on screen, and frankly, I've enjoyed a lot of what he does on screen. But I enjoyed this. He was a bit out of his depth in this movie. To be yeah. fair, however. Right around the same time, Kevin Costner was expecting us to believe that he was Robin Loxley and Robin Hood, <laughs> Prince of Thieves. Okay. So I think that misstep should be put forth first before we get on Keanu for Braun Stoker's Dracula. Dude, okay. If you have. I'm with you. You know, part of it too was he was coming off
3: the whole Ted thing. Like everybody knew him as Ted. I know, and, you know but you know, I'm like,
0: just saying, if you yeah. have anger to spare after the whole Kevin Costner Robin Hood thing, okay, <laughs> fine. Then throw it Keanu's way. But
1: Kevin Kevin needs to take the hit first. Once Costner stops trying to have an English accent, about you know a quarter of the way into the movie, <laughs> it's still that. fine. <laughs>
0: they, they they get better, exactly.
2: So, anyway, I'm just. the Anyway, that movie except, would have been fine. Except no, that Christian no Slater's Slater. is solid from. It front to back <laughs> and, he,
1: and he's such christian slater such a prick in this christian movie. slater is probably the worst actor that america has ever produced. no i don't think
2: that this oh, gosh, so off the rails i uh,
1: uh, uh, should have put him in that joe movie.
0: joe i'm just gonna say right now you haven't seen ronda rousey in the expendables okay so you know. <laughs>
1: she's an actress if you want to call her that
2: <laughs> she'll kill that? me i know that much. Give give me a little bit more on vampires. Okay. Yeah, yeah. By um, all means, go ahead. The subgenre of the sci-fi vampire, mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, do you guys remember the uh, space vampire episode of Buck Rogers? Oh yeah, oh, dude, that was terrifying. terrifying. At like eight years old, oh my god, I thought. It was all right, good hang done. on. I remember the
0: Buck Rogers show and loved it, but I don't remember this episode. Walking oh, through it's real quick, like the, the best... space vampire episode. I,
2: I, I... It's been well, a long time since so I've seen it, but yeah. um, it had this, uh, it, you know, it was Buck Rogers in the 20th century, Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray, uh, Mel Blanc is Twiki. They're, like, on this, like, I think space casino cruise ship because there's has been these murders and uh, they run into this space vampire who, like, touches, like, the sides of your throat and sucks the life energy out of you. And he, he had these, like, super creepy ears and, uh, like, an inflated skull and the teeth and everything so did he have kind of like a nosferatu thing sort of looking yes, kind of yeah yeah only yeah. only a little bit gr- a little bit green yeah. so you know he was trading on all the tropes and yeah I, I look man for me at eight years old i was like that was the scariest thing i had ever seen yeah sure <laughs> it's kind of like um, when i was
0: watching the episode of the muppet show and the phantom shows up and i was like terrified of the <laughs> phantom in that episode i'm like why am i scary during the muppets this is terrible but yeah there i was <laughs>
1: Anything, anything that plays on our fear of like, like this visceral fear of cannibalism, like, yeah. like, yeah, uh, you know, I think us that, feeding on each other, yeah. like that. That's basically vampires, right? Is like this sense of the taboo and. The, uh, well, it, that uh, is uh,
2: it, that, that's a line between vampires and zombies, I suppose. But yeah, I think it is. A, it yeah, is. I don't know a, that, in I, the same vein, anyway.
1: So you're saying that that basically vampires are just zombies with style. It, <laughs> Yes. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I would actually, no, no, I, would, actually no. I think I would totally agree with that. Nah, <laughs> I think because that's if you a go, really go back point. now hold on and sexuality. Hold on. If we go if we go back to that weekend in 1816 in, in I was gonna say
2: the weekend at Bernie's <laughs>
1: Same thing, right? Wow. Polidari wrote the vampire with a Y, which yeah. apparently way ahead Vampir. of time. But what he did was, what, what Byron and Polidari did was they wrote about these zombies, essentially, yeah. from the Balkan myth. Yeah. And they gave them, like, debonair yeah. manners yeah. and style. Like, they invented yeah. the concept of the modern vampire as a zombie who dresses
0: right. nice. But what, yeah. I, what I'll throw out there though, I think getting back to Anne Rice and her take on vampires. And by the way, Chris, props to you. Freshman year college, you thrust a copy of Interview with the Vampire into my hands. And I read <laughs> it in my dorm room was, and was loving every second of it and I'm really grateful you gave it to me. There's so much vampire lore out there. Go, you gotta go back in time and remember, when Anne Rice was publishing these novels, they were just like a sensation. They were just so redefining what modern audiences were kind of thinking of in terms of of, 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 of vampires. right. Mo-
2: modern audience audiences were coming off of Blackula and right uh, the George right, you know? Hamilton right, and so it was almost it was almost like when
0: Frank Miller redefined Batman through the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Like it was a portrayal of it that suddenly it kind of recontextualized the whole notion, and so the Anne Rice take on vampirism really like for like 20 years, that became like the default for template for vampires in general. And, and I bring this up only because with that, there's a strong theme of seduction involved. Like her vampires are very sensuous, if not oh, sexual. Yeah. And there's a very mm-hmm. strong sense of you want to be with them even though you know it's horrible and you don't want to be them. You can't reconcile that, right? And it's an impossible right. thing and you get drawn into it like a black hole. That's not the case with zombies, right? Zombies are much more True. of a visceral sort of thing whereas an involuntary transformation. It's the notion of seeing someone you love turn into something that wants to destroy you and you can't possibly reason with it. And so there are thematic similarities, but I think what really makes the best zombie stories work is not what makes the best vampire stories work.
1: The streams diverged at some point, right? And I think if you point to it at the point at which Byron and and, and the romanticists gave vampires this sexy charisma and this agency... Which, because that's the other piece, right? Like zombies are mindless, brainless—you know, just gonna eat you. Whereas, whereas vampires, there, there's a, there's almost like a tragic component to vampires, right? Like they're almost doomed to live forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well,
3: it gets back to you know what Chris was saying earlier about like the whole you know failing the ethical test over and over (sighs) and over. That's that's the thing that kills me. Like I, I never read any of the Anne Rice stuff. You know, I did see the movie, but like. You know, watching that whole thing, like watching Louie have to go through and like eat rats in the sewers, and then stuff like, that. and then you see Claudia just, you know, takes to it like right. you know, fish to water. She's all of a sudden like, and, and like that's that in and of itself was terrifying. Yeah, you
2: like, dress
3: me a like a doll, little girl, like Kirsten Dunst, an eight-year-old girl's body, and she just, I'm a killer, <laughs> damn, it, I'm a killer. And she just yeah. goes out and yeah. like tears yeah. And crazy.
2: And and you know what? I mean, the thing is that. I don't think that that is an unfair assessment of childhood morality. You know. Right. No. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: It's the same thing that scared me about like what was it Twilight Zone episode like it's good that you did that, you know? Like yes. it's the same thing. It's like that much power in the hands of a child.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a little creepy. Uh,
3: creeps me up. Yeah. Man. yeah. <laughs>
2: I, well, while since I mentioned sci-fi vampires, I want to mention the uh, the the what 1986 I think 84 film Life Force. Ooh yeah it was it, look a little bit exploitative but what <laughs> sure, wasn't yes. in the horror genre back then Fair. uh steve Railsback, matilda may peter firth um spit on your grave God. God. <laughs> that, that movie i think holds up it, it like it's it looks totally 80s but yeah, it feels sure. really cool and and more time 80s can we give a shout out to fright night yes please <laughs> Man. Thanks for doing it for me. No, 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 I just want to make sure you got to it. Take it I away. I love that movie so much. Yeah. Uh, Chris Sarandon, uh, at all, like it was the first co- horror comedy, as far as I know. Yeah, like, it's the first one I knew of. Anybody I, else? I, it's, it's the
0: first one I came across. I mean, I mean, I remember. That movie was deeply unsettling, but it was also kind of funny in cases. Like, yeah, well, I was I wasn't prepared for that tonal shift, and so it kept me off balance. But I I think Fright Night like yeah. paved the way for stuff like Teen Wolf. Yeah, but the, uh, the thing I loved about Fright Night though is that it really traded heavily on the whole vampires have to live by a set of rules, yeah. and so those rules can make it so that you can have a vampire living next door to you, and you can't <laughs> do smack about it. And like, oh man, like poor Charlie is looking through the window watching Chris Sarandon kill attractive young women and he's like yeah and you can't do anything about it buddy that's what i do man it's the rules and you're like what the hell it's I'd like it's, it's kind of nuts so hey, it's, yeah
2: it's that rear window kind of thing going. yeah
0: on. <laughs> it's like a rear window kind of
2: thing it's creepy it's it's you know so i love you know. that movie but but and and last one i promise i would not feel comfortable if i didn't continue in the same direction and bring up what we do in the shadows oh thank you so much it's not so
0: much thank you so much
2: (laughs) but what we do in the shadows is one of the most brilliant films and television shows that i've ever seen it's just the best
0: chris i so thoroughly agree with you i could not more enthusiastically support this that is a coffin family halloween classic perpetual (laughs) fire up what we do in the shadows during spooky season it's just so funny it is it's a mockumentary about a group of new zealand vampires who are not very good at being vampires taika waititi it's fantastic across the board if you watch only one thing coming off this episode make it be what we do in the shadows it is so good it is so good it's it's the office but vampires yeah, yeah, and and the FX show is everybody's funny. It is as, as as the movie, and it's two seasons. I actually it's in its third it's three season now. now. It's yeah, yeah,
2: they're in the third season, yeah. and yeah. and it's completely inventive and it... <laughs>
0: it's so fantastic. I love I can't it. Even... We should probably have an episode on that at some point in time. If everybody else watches it and loves it as much as I do, probably impossible, but my god it's so good it's so good so uh, tom joe do you guys have any particular vampire
2: movies that you'd love to shout out real quick
3: oh uh, well, when chris said you know i'm going further in that direction i thought he was going lost boys i was like oh
2: well we've already <laughs> talked about it you know
3: yeah but yeah uh, I, I i don't want to belabor it you know further but,
2: Santa uh, clara yeah. <laughs> yeah i love I, I love the vampires i do
1: i like adam sandler in hotel transylvania <laughs> <laughs> i love it i do not say blah
0: blah blah <laughs> is that i didn't realize i was adam sandler that's funny as heck yeah. so, i tell you a movie I got to give a shout out to it's a swedish movie called let the right one in oh i've heard great things about that they made an american a, version of it as well is it? um and it's just it's just one of those i don't think you lose anything by watching the american version oh i haven't seen it i'm just going off of reviews but let the right one in is a story about this bullied isolated young kid in this small town and he begins to suspect that the mysterious girl who's roughly his age, who's moved into town is in fact more than she seems. And it is a very slow burn kind of uh story and it's got an absolutely horrifying finale. Always and it's just, it's, it's just a, just a really, really good, let the right one is a really good take on the vampire story and uh, just adore it.
2: So, Oh crap. Listen, I, I, I would really be doing us a disservice if I didn't uh, piss off Derek by bringing in Near Dark, <laughs> uh, Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton. Yeah, uh, it, it's a it, it is a, it's it's a vampire movie that is in the American Southwest. It, it's in the yeah, it's it's set in the American Southwest and it's in the key of Queen of the Damned of, by Anne Rice, like yeah. where we we need a lot of like kind of, you know, like the biker vampires and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and so like the, it's like this vampire gang. Like dust till dawn. It's sort of like Dust
0: till Dawn. Yeah, but not nearly but, as, as cheesy and self-aware. It's more like a wild western in the modern
2: day, like with bikers rather than desperados kind of it, a thing. It, it it feels like I, I well it's really personal and, yeah. and you know like this the story ends with you know a vampire being saved. Yeah. But but uh you know, it, it's all, like, really sort of low-key and, and low-stakes yeah. and, yeah. and yet feels really real
0: to me. It's almost like a Hells Angels version of Lost Boys, and it's directed by yeah. Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow, who is fantastic. So, it's, it, yeah, good stuff. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. It's a great place to leave this one on. All right, last one to go here. Tom Hespos. Who could it, be? Who could it possibly be? I don't know. Dude, walk us through your favorite classic Halloween monster and your favorite iteration of it. Go.
3: I, I love the mummy. I, I don't know what it is, but like, I, I have this thing for like movies set in like that golden age of you know exploration, like between the world wars, yeah. where you know you have um, you know folks going off to Egypt and Africa Board and stuff Carter's. like that. Like, yeah. I, I yeah. love like movies set now. Like, I even enjoyed Jungle Cruise, the nineteen ninety nine film. Like, was just such a pleasant surprise because I wasn't expecting it. It was like it was like another of those movies like independence day like just it didn't have a lot of hype that i saw anyway It's like, a and it yeah. but like you got a great surprise out of the movie you get the whole deal with the 1999 version of the mummy yeah. i mean yeah. you get the you know expedition down the river and you get you know the 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 war and the the whole you know um uh, finding hamanutra and all that stuff and it becomes almost like the extended edition of the the 1932 version with boris Karloff. yeah yeah yeah, know, yeah. Who, by the way it was was tremendous in in that movie as well i mean like there are scenes in the in the 1932 uh movie where like they just have him staring like directly into the screen and you're like you're, you're kind of horrified just <laughs> looking at the dude's face i mean he yeah. yeah, had that kind of like just scary presence <laughs> that could uh you know, set you off and like set you on edge the 1999 was just so wonderful with, you know, Brendan Fraser and uh, Rachel Weiss. And, and she was just so good in this. Felt so like delightful. One of my moments of truth from this movie is like the scene where she just gets like hammered drunk with, uh, you know, Rick O'Connell and, uh, you know, gives the whole like, I am a librarian speech like hammered <laughs> out of her mind. I love yeah. that. I fell in love with her yeah. when I saw yeah. that. I
2: thought that yeah. was so great. It's it's interesting um, that that your classic movie or your classic monster movie is it's not a horror movie. It's it's what what the, the mummy evolved into, which is I think better than it ever was. Like <laughs> it seems great. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, there, there's
3: something like deeply creepy to me about ancient civilizations that have died out and you know at the time yeah. i didn't really know much about why they you know the, the civilization isn't great anymore but like maybe they did have access to like interesting magic and spells and stuff like that like there's something that's like really unsettling about you know like lost mysteries of the past kind of magic yeah. that just it, it just does it to me and
2: um and stuff
1: that, that Mummy movie is more of an Indiana Jones movie yeah. than the Crystal Skull. Oh, Wallet it movie. totally
3: is. It's a great adventure. Um, yeah. You know, to the point I, I I was watching it with Jack the other night, my my youngest, he's eight. And uh, you know, all right, he got like a jump scare in the beginning when they popped the mummy out of the, 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 the <laughs> and Jonathan, like, you know, pops that the cheap, yeah sister. <laughs> He got a little bit of a jump scare there. But like rather than that making him like run upstairs, which is what it would have done to me at that age, he like he got intrigued by it. Aww. And you know, he's asking questions all along the way. It was like it was a really yeah. good kind of movie just to watch with the kids. Like I think he got a little unsettled at like what I think is like my real moment of truth, which is when they're showing the flashback to Emotep getting, you know, tortured and stuff after you know, he and his uh his fling and a moon or whatever her name yeah. is, you know, they they kill Pharaoh and all the punishments that they sort of put him through. I mean, you see. You don't actually see it; it right. happens off camera, but like people getting their tongues know, and then like you know, no, yeah, wrapped you know. up and everything, and they throw him it's in the sarcophagus yeah. and pour like all the scarab beetles on him, and I'm like, yeah. it just it, it, it creeps me out like nothing. Like I had an incident with, with a beetle when I was a kid; like I thought they were harmless, and it turns out they're not harmless. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> we need a sample. Hold on, hold on. We need a sample of I had an incident with a beetle. <laughs> Like that needs to be <laughs> on the its moment own. of true soundboard. Oh, yeah. An yeah. Incident.
3: yeah. An incident it hit me and I didn't I wasn't expecting it to be able to bite anyway. Like that, that that was just deeply unsettled. Like the notion that you're like stuck in this thing and these things are literally gonna eat you alive. Yeah, like no and good. there's nothing you could do about it. You can't even hardly move. Like, oh very, very creepy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, but Tom, that goes right to the horror component of like we've conditioned ourselves to consider ourselves at like the top of the food chain. That's why Jaws is scary. That's why zombie movies, vampire movies, anything that we feel like we're going to get eaten is terrifying to us because that's not what we do. Like, we're not prey. Like, we're not going to be eaten. Like, we eat other things. Yeah. And so, like, they have, like, the the beetles poured into the sarcophagus that are going to eat you, like, quick or slow. I don't know what it is. Or they're going to drink our blood. Or the zombies are going to eat our brains. Or, you know, but whatever it is. Nothing like, can that, eat that, us that,
2: while we're that- alive anyway.
1: <laughs> well like look yeah we're all gonna get Those eaten eventually ed, but, like yeah. basically
3: like piranha bugs man you're like you're you're you're, you're done well, like,
1: what i loved yeah. about this movie
0: is that it, it went from this like yeah this this indiana jones age of adventure pulp era adventure thing right off the bat right which you know two guns slinging kind of stuff with rick o'connell just you know this big gunfights and all that and it's like oh this is this is awesome i'm totally enjoying this and then you know they had this cool dungeon crawl scenario and then they kind of awaken the mummy and Emotep starts walking around, reminding people why he's Emotep, and suddenly things change. And he starts dehydrating people, and you're like, "Oh wait a minute, this can't be stuff." And it's like that gets creepy. And like when he like starts coming into the city and like bringing Locust with him, like that gets to me. That gets really dark and creepy. I'm like, I don't like this anymore. I want to go back to the gunplay, please. <laughs> and like wait, wait, you with can't- the spear, the spear zombies chasing the car. Yeah, right. And like, <laughs> like you can't have it. And like, ah, uh, 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 like at this. It, this, the tonal shift really works well in that, you know, because you're so having so much fun with the adventure stuff, and it's done so well, and the horror stuff really lands well, too.
3: The power just keeps growing and growing, and next thing you know, he's he's sending sandstorms after you with his he's face and in it. his mouth opens impossibly wide. I'm like, yeah, Aah! it's a
2: whole airplane. I mean, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> you know what I love about this movie? It's it's the cast. John yeah. Hanna oh. as Jonathan Carnahan. <laughs> really good honestly all of the indiana jones movies could have used him solo was not enough and and oded fair who plays ardeth bay basically the same role that he played in indiana jones and the last crusade basically (laughs) (laughs) that guy one of my man crushes I think he's beautiful. He's he, he really is. He's, <laughs> he
0: was also badass. He was just a great character. He was he, he was just he was just so he was so fantastic. You know, Tom, I hear you. This was an unexpected movie for me. It was kind of like uh Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Where it's like it's like I, it just came out. It's like, got to be I, dumb. It, it, it's gotta yeah. Be. I was like, it, I went there going, it's got to be dumb. Not high expectations. About twenty minutes in, realizing I'm liking this way the heck more than I thought I was going to. Holy cow! And just. Having this like childlike ride, like uh, anything could happen, like it, it. And because I had such low expectations, I was ready for anything. And so I really, that movie really sunk in quite nicely with me in, in the way they intended it to. And not a lot of movies yeah. do that, you know.
3: It made me want to go back and watch the, you know, the Karloff version. And like by the way, like the two plots are pretty, you know, very very similar. Yeah. It's it's
1: still the same stuff. That Rick O'Connell character, where they give you like that in that every man, where you're like, yeah. you're the skeptic, yeah. you're the you know, it's again, it's the Indiana Jones or the Han Solo, whoever the like, I can't believe what's happening around me. Like, this is just no, I don't buy any of it. Yeah. Like, it's it's like this, or Han Solo, and, you know, that's it, like, do, yeah, that's what I Yeah, have guns. That's like, <laughs> yeah, right? like there's, no, there's no match for a good blaster, at yeah. your side, right?
3: Yeah. There's a great deal of comedy in it, too, and like, um that winston the character that's just like the <laughs> hysterical oh my benny? god the, like, benny. old dude oh yeah benny <laughs> they had some great characters in that but like i love the you know the old drunken guy who you know quite obviously boasting and exaggerating all his old war stories and everything he was just such a you know stereotypical that guy yeah. and and yeah, ends up being one of the heroes in the end, which is great. <laughs>
0: this is this is one of the rare movies that it managed to successfully trade on various archetypes and stereotypes in a way that I don't think really kind of calls itself out in a weird way. Like like, like it seems like it sort of it sort of draws a lot of archetypes that w- still work well and kind of ignores, you know, the archetypes that don't play well anymore. And and it just it just it just worked out quite nicely. It was really it was really a lot of you know, an awful lot of fun. Well, it's also peak Brendan Fraser, right? Like, at that point, Brendan Fraser was in a lot of movies. He was coming out in a lot of different things.
2: And bless him.
0: Right? Seriously? He's had a hard road, actually. And honestly, he's doing some great stuff now. And he also appears to be an objectively awesome kind of human being. And so you, yeah. you, just, you want success for him. So you like, seeing him landing more roles now and seeing how it means to him when fans are like, nah, dude, Brendan, we love you, man. And he really takes that. Like, you know what? I I want good things for you. I want to see you in more things. It's awesome. For,
3: for me, like you know, it became like this adventure slash, you know, horror flicks. I mean, there were some tra- tr- truly horrifying moments oh, yeah. in that movie, Yeah, uh, you know, to add to the Indiana Jones flavor. But, um yeah like the 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 whole you know as it, the power is growing and everything and emotep like you know sends like insects like after you and like uh, like stuff like that just got so scary because like you didn't know how far his power was ever gonna you know whether, whether it was ever gonna stop yeah. like, it was just gonna keep growing yeah. and growing and growing I, I, I love that aspect of it and like some of the just the really creepy stuff with you know as he's You know, absorbing people's bodies and you know desiccating them and using it to restore himself, like all the all the odd little touches and stuff as he's reconstituting. Like, there's one where he like absorbs this guy's body, and you see like the little scarab beetle like run up, run through this like hole in his
2: cheek, and like he eats (laughs) it. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
3: (laughs) Scary as hell. Yeah.
2: I I, I mean, really, I was surprised you chose the mummy. Well, if if only because this movie to me just like it wiped the slate clean for the character of the mummy like it, yeah like, this it was really definitive to me yes agreed agreed and and I have not seen the Tom Cruise version so you can,
1: uh, you, you? You, can you can skip it <laughs> I think one of the <laughs> no,
0: this this podcast is about things we love so we'll just not talk about it go ahead Joe
1: one of the things about the mummy if we talk about you know sort of universal triggers for fear or for loathing like it's ancient right so it goes to like the dracula thing of like this is something that's really old that's been stalking me for a long time and then it goes to the that zombie like or some of the serial killers like the jasons who like we run in these horror movies and the monster just walks yeah and yet somehow it catches us like and to me that was part of the terror of the mummy it right follows. is that in the old school mummy yeah is that it walks while we run. And yet there it is. Yep. And, and, yeah. It's always right, talking. Yeah.
3: When that Templar dude like tells you like, it will never stop. Like, like
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole, yep, we exactly. stop for a second and dwell upon that. That's really crazy. Scary. Honestly, it really, really is. It's just like you have no rest. Any, you are on a, a countdown timer for the rest of time <laughs> for something horrible happening to you. That's a terrible thought when you give it some thought. It really is. I love this movie. I really do. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, this movie is from that crop of films at the beginning of really truly good CGI that really started of looking yeah. awesome. And agreed, one, it holds up. It, it holds up. We watched it. It's a couple reasonably weeks ago. good. Yeah. One of the things yeah. I love about this movie, and, it, and we're talking about like like Tom, we're talking about this thing is from from an ancient time, is that they actually put in details to make ancient Egypt look alive and relatable to humans. And I remember there's a great little detail when you first see. Ancient Egypt in this movie, and they're kind of this big like pan shot. You see people all walking around in the foreground. You see this little CGI person walking, who's walking a dog on a leash, right? And the dog is pulling it like, you know, you know, you know, the way like a, a strong dog pulls you. And this person is actually walking a dog on a leash. And I remember in the theater, a lot of people were like, "Yo, check out the Egyptian with the dog!" Like it was just this little human thing. <laughs> but it draws you into the world. They're not just little CGI sick figures. It's a life, it's a city going on there and just they, they 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 add in these little details so that when you get to this doomed romance between Imhotep and Anuxenamun and the tortures he undergoes like these are all real things. They're not just some construct from a past that didn't exist, right to the it, it, it you get the sense like no, no, this is actually a thing and so it it lands more flush. It, it's more real, you know, and
3: you start to see that you know like ancient Egypt was kind of no joke you know there was a lot that you you could relate to and that's it's a real honest to god civilization and you know sometimes I think about that you know in contrast to how you know a lot of those Egyptian um, artifacts and everything and how the whole concept of like mummies and stuff was treated over the years like there's some not so great stuff there I mean like when the British were, you know, like, all this stuff was oh, was yeah. happening and, you know, people were really, they were you know, firewood.
2: getting
3: into and all that. So, like, they would use mummies like firewood. Yeah. Like, they were so common. There were so many of them. Like, they burned them just, they would, like, for they fun. Like, I'm, like, like, destroying, uh, you know,
0: ancient stuff yeah. like
3: that. They'd like, grind like,
1: them into yeah. powder to make medicines. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, it was yeah,
0: wholesale like, defilement of ancient Egyptian culture. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. yeah, it's a crime that can't be undone. It's, it's you know, pretty awful so you
3: know the further back you go the more you could have had a civilization that could have gotten further than we did you know like yeah. uh, like conceivably that could have happened and you know what secrets yeah. did they uncover that we never uncovered yeah. um you know th- there's that that fear as well that I think adds to it That's good
0: stuff good stuff all right before we wrap up a final thought and, and, and i will say we talked about a bunch of different classic Halloween monsters we didn't talk about ghosts in this so i'm going to wrap up with a ghost story I went to a private high school that had a few old buildings on its campus. One of them was called the Snyder House, and that's where we had our art classes, language classes, and and a few others. Uh, The art studio was in the attic of this house, where there was a longstanding legend that Mary Snyder, the daughter of one of the house's former owners, had hung herself there many years before in the attic stairwell. And legend had it that her spectral form could be seen at night roaming the halls. Uh, there were a few teachers who had reportedly encountered the ghost and if you pressed them on it they would like reluctantly admit to it honestly and they but they give you a few details and evidently it was the kind of thing that people weren't really comfortable recalling and i suppose you know an encounter with the undead will do that to you so on graduation day i catch a private moment with our headmaster whom I had built a, a pretty solid relationship. And I, I, I said, look, can I, ask you a, can I ask you a question, like a no BS answer question? And he goes, yeah, sure, Bill, go ahead. And I asked him point blank, I'm like, Mary Snyder, is it true? And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, no. He goes, in the 70s, a few of us thought the school didn't have enough traditions, so we made it up. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) right. And I'm like, I remembered late afternoons and early evenings in that house, deep down scared at what I was going to encounter and be like trembling at it. And as I graduated a couple years later, knowing it was all for nothing, I just laughed at myself. I'm like, believe in ghosts. Ha! What an idiot. So fast forward a number of years, you know, about five, six years ago, I was staying in the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. Which is reportedly the most haunted place in the state, right? And I'm there. I'm there on business, and my room comes with like a book of like lore on the hotel in terms of like all of its hauntings, all of its ghosts, where they've seen. And I learned that the floor I'm on is a particularly haunted floor in this particularly haunted hotel. And I learned that on my floor, my room was particularly hot in terms of seeing a ghost. Uh, you know, during your stay there, so. I'm, You know, I'm thinking about this, and at first I'm thinking, like, all right, maybe I should get another room, right? I'm all by myself. It's a little creepy. But then I stop, and I remember the ghost of Mary Snyder. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just relaxed, and I had a pleasant and uneventful evening. In the morning when I checked out, the clerk is like, hey, you know, how was everything? And I said, it's fine. I made some sort of half-hearted joke, like, yeah, and I didn't encounter any ghosts. But she must have misheard me and I think she thought, I said I did encounter a ghost, and suddenly her demeanor completely changes. Her professionalism just drops away. And she goes, you did? What did you see, tell me, right? And the the tone in her voice was a really unusual mixture of dread and urgency that I've never heard before or since. Like, I don't know what this person had ever seen, heard, or experienced in that place, but she clearly believed in the ghosts of the Driscoll Hotel. And you know what, for just a second, I kind of envied her. This has been the Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit
2: BillCoffin.com.